This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by UBCP ACTRA, a.k.a. the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists, the national organization of professional performers working in the English language recorded media in Canada. For more information about UBCP ACTRA, visit ubcpactra.ca. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Rani Freminger. Today, well, today I'm really happy. I am happy to welcome Beatrice King to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Beatrice, oh, and I, I can tell that you've listened to the podcast before because sometimes people, their first time on the podcast, they'll be like, I'll say to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, they'll be like, hi, and, be, and then, but you just sat there and you're like, no, thesis statement thesis is coming. Statement. All right, here we go. <laughs> Beatrice is an experienced actress who has appeared in an array of critically acclaimed and fan-favorite projects, including X-Men Origins Wolverine, Mortal Kombat Legacy, The Hundred, and Loudermilk. She's also a well-respected acting coach, working primarily with young people on projects for, I know, just some little independent things like Universal, Disney, Netflix. But her on-camera acting and coaching work isn't why Beatrice is here today. Beatrice recently added a new title to her already impressive filmography. Director. Should be like that in lights. <laughs> Bolded. You can go, director. <laughs> Beatrice makes her directorial debut with You Are the Blue, an atmospheric and beautifully composed coming-of-age film she wrote about invisible illnesses and the mental health toll of keeping them secret. You Are the Blue centers on teenage dancer Kay, played with nuance and steely vulnerability by Eden Summer Gilmore, who listeners will know as Sophia Bianchi, Abby's daughter on Family Law. Kay, like 313 million people on this planet, lives with an autoimmune disease. And she's struggling, not just with the diagnosis, but also with grief and losing a sense of control over her life during a time that's already hard for young people. I am a parent of a preteen. It's a hard time. As Kay responds to a specialist who asks her how she's feeling, feels like I'm drowning, like I'm just trying to stay above water. You're the Blue explores these feelings, the toll that keeping an invisible illness a secret can have on a person's mental health and the sense of freedom that comes from sharing your secret with people you trust. It packs a punch. And doubly so when you consider that invisible illnesses are rarely explored in narrative films, let alone in the short film format. 
It's a wonderful vehicle to broach what can be a difficult and challenging topic for young people and their support systems. You're the Blue premiered at the Edmonton International Film Festival, screened earlier this month at the Vancouver Asian Film Festival, and will soon screen up at Canada's coolest film festival, otherwise known as Whistler Film Festival. So today we'll hear from Beatrice about the inspiration for her exceptional short film and consider the different ways that we as individuals can support those we love who live with these so-called invisible illnesses. That's my thesis name. <laughs> Beatrice King, welcome to the Why Your Screen Scene podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Sabrina. It's a real just honor being here. Well, it makes me very happy. Okay, let's talk about some big stuff. Mm -hmm. What is an invisible illness? Mm. So an invisible illness is a, um, it's a health condition that a person has that a person on the outside cannot see immediately. Mm. Um, and there are so many different types of illnesses uh, that people can have um, where it's not immediately seen, like even different forms of cancer. Um, it can be uh, like you talked about different autoimmune diseases from lupus to uh, rheumatoid arthritis to, you know, chronic pain. Mm. Um, uh, and so any, any of these types of conditions where you see these people going about their regular everyday lives and you just wouldn't know that they were struggling. Yeah. So what inspired you then to make this the topic for your directorial debut? Mm -hmm. So I had been wanting to get into directing for some time um, and it wasn't until I was actually working on a TV series as an acting coach on uh, a show called The Healing Powers of Dude. Mm. And um, I was kind of, you know, mulling over directing then, but a couple of the directors that I worked with, because each episode would have, have a different director. Mm -hmm. um, and as an acting coach, you work so closely with the director. We would get into conversations and I would have, you know, questions and, and we would just get into kind of go down the rabbit hole in directing and there were multiple directors that kept telling me you should direct mm. this should be something that you look into and so back then I still wasn't really ready I wasn't ready because I I knew that I wanted to tell my own story I just yeah. didn't know what it was going to be and so the really the inspiration behind you are the blue was struggling with an invisible illness and turning to art and not being able to find anything and really searching like i remember like searching for months sometimes and, and just typing things in and going okay there's there's got to be something about some more of the private moments that yeah. we go through that not a lot of people get to see so the day-to-day -day struggles the um some of the grief, the loss, the isolation. And for me, it was really about identity. Hmm. So losing that part of yourself and having that big ex existential question of who am I yeah. at the forefront of it, that's when I knew I needed to write the story and make a difference and help the millions of people that are going through something similar. 
You know, I, I find it really interesting because, you know, what you're describing, I mean, it's rife for exploration and also for inspiration. You know, I, I'm wondering why you think there isn't a lot of exploration of this subject, you know, already out there in the world. Mm. Like, do you think it has to do with the fact that it's something that I mean, you haven't used the word taboo. I'm not even, you know, I'm not saying that it is a taboo, but mm -hmm. some people might be like, I don't want to be defined by my illness. I'm mm -hmm. not going to share it with anybody else. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think for me, the message was really important. Yeah. So the message of the film is you are not your disease. Yes. You are the blue. Yeah. And I think when people see it, I think it's got such strong messaging in it that mm -hmm. it really does help people in different ways even if you don't have a chronic illness or have struggled with the disease it helps with people who have been struggling with a deep secret and it allows people to just release some of the stigma yeah around it and you know there is that mental health component too oh, yeah. and i think you know by sharing with someone that you trust we can start to release some of that stigma around talking about mental health and even around young people um and the more we talk and share about it i think the less we're going to be worried about judgment if mm. we're able to share it in safe places i do want to talk about the the process of making the film because that's my favorite thing talking about <laughs> challenges especially mm -hmm. but you know i just want to stay on, on you know in the film industry in general terms then because we we did a, a a series of episodes uh last year um that was about you know uh accessibility in the film industry mm -hmm. and you know we've also uh we've had you know rachel langer on the podcast you know talking about uh, her journey with you know um and endometriosis and mm -hmm. and uh you know the way that that's impacted you know uh what her career and what she chooses to share like mm. how how well do you think this industry is you know to to you know either including people with invisible illnesses or mm. for being receptive or supportive you know what what, what are your thoughts like what kind of work like if it's not mm -hmm. a good place for for people with invisible illnesses you know what work do you think needs to be done mm. Well, I think the first step is representation. Mm. If we can get more representation and stories told about it, yeah. the more we see it, the more we can see our own world reflected yeah. in it. And I think we're already starting to see those changes. Um, I worked on a series called Sight Unseen recently, and hmm. it is about a cop who is um, losing her eyesight. And the production um, really did an extensive search to find an actor who was going through that. And so finding someone who, you know, is losing their eyesight that who also can, you know, play this role. Again, there's representation there. And I think that that community then can be shown. Yeah. Uh, and it, I think that's so important yeah. because there is space for that in media. You know, watching watching your film, I I mean, I before we started recording, I was telling you that this really resonated, you know, with me because of an experience that I went through trying to find a diagnosis for my daughter, you know, in a in 2018, and I like I imagine, you know, this film, you know, being like 
like almost like people who, you know, who might be new to the world of invisible illnesses or, you know, either as like a somebody like a loved one or actually somebody, you know, who is dealing with something, you know, would be like referred to this film, you know, like, mm -hmm. is that is that kind of what you imagine? Like, what are you what are you hoping to, you know, besides the, the fact that mm -hmm. it is beautiful art and like. It's beautiful. And we're going to talk about Eden and like, you know, my God, Sterling Bancroft's work. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm such a fan of Sterling's. Um, but, you know, like, is that what you imagine for this film, too, to be like almost like given to somebody as like a gift and to be like, you know, watch this and then you can access, you know, what it means to be the blue? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, I think that, you know, I I really wanted this to be a gift to those who might be struggling mm. and suffering because this is really what I needed yeah. during that time. And if I had this as like a piece of art to myself, it would have really eased my experience. Yeah. How beautiful to know though that this is a gift. Maybe it's not for yourself. We don't, I'm sorry, there's no time travel device here. We talk about with the Wayback Machine. Um, but you know, that this is, this can be that for somebody, you know, like that's, I mean, because mm -hmm. art has a, definitely has a role yeah. to play in this. I remember saying um, at the VAF screening that, you know, art has a, such a powerful way of capturing our pain and releasing it from us all at the same time without needing to say a single word. Mm. And that's really what I wanted to do with this film. Um, and it was important for me to, for my first film to be impactful and meaningful. Yeah. And um, I'm just so happy with how many lives it's already touched and resonated with. And the amount of people after screenings that have come up with me, that have shared with me, I am going through something right now that I have not been able to share with others. And I just want to thank you because mm -hmm. I didn't know this was the film that I needed. So when somebody comes up and says that to you then, mm -hmm. or if somebody's watching this film and you don't happen to be present as, as the, the screening, like what, what do you say to them? What message do you have for them? Mm. I just take them in in that yeah. moment because I think what they're needing is to be seen. Mm. And I just really breathe with them and allow them to share that with me yeah. without me needing to take up space. Yeah. That's beautiful. Mm. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more on the production side of of the film then. Um, I am... I'm a huge fan of Eden's. I think she's such a remarkable, <laughs> exciting, like funny. I've interviewed her like on a red carpet. Like, oh, she's so funny, funny and like so smart mm -hmm. though. And like the 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 interplay that we get to see with her and Jewel on Family Law. Like, mm. my gosh, those scenes are they're intense. So, um, what kind of qualities though before you cast Eden? Like, what mm -hmm. kind of qualities were you looking for? You know, when casting for Kay, mm -hmm. and you know what what did Eden bring? To, the to role. it, yeah, yeah. Um, well, in the beginning, I had no idea who was going to play Kay. I was talking to Sterling, our cinematographer, about it. It's like a painter, by the way. Sterling's like mm. a painter with like Sterling, light and shadow. <laughs> My gosh, big um, fan, <laughs> big fan. And we can talk about him 
more after, but um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know who was who Kay was going to be. I had I had an idea about Kay's essence, and I wanted her to feel courageous. She needed to be courageous. She, she needed to also be vulnerable. And in terms of the performance, I was really looking for for an actor to not there's a bit of a trap. I didn't want it to feel like she wanted to be pitied. That's not the story. Mm. That's a, actually a huge part of the story in that this lead character does not want pity. And yeah. she actually says to her best friend, I'm going to tell you something, but promise me you will not treat me differently. Yeah. And so in the performances and in the audition tapes that we viewed, it was so important that this character really just wanted to be a normal girl. Like yeah. that was her want. She just wanted to be a dancer like everybody else. She wanted to continue on that trajectory like everybody else. Yeah. She just had all of these enormous obstacles. And so I remember seeing Eden's tape. She was one of the last tapes that I'd watched. And up until that point, like, yeah, there, there are some that really, you know, stood out to me. But I remember coming to Eden's and going, oh, my gosh, mm. this is Kay. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have worked with Eden for a very long time. I've been her acting coach since she was 11 years old. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I... I they, so you know what she can do. I know yeah. what she can do, although I didn't necessarily picture her as this character. Yeah. And it was sort of perfect timing because Eden had turned just turned 16 and the character k was just 16 and i wanted to find someone that was a true 16 yeah i really that was really important to me i didn't want to find you know someone in their 20s to play younger needed to be true 16 yeah. and i just thought she brought so much strength and vulnerability yeah. at the same time. That's what I thought. I mean, in watching it too, like I think, uh, let me scroll back up to my thesis. Mm -hmm. What words did I use? Uh, oh, uh, steely vulnerability. You know, mm. so like strong, but also, yeah, vulnerable, you know, um, as well. And that is hard to do. And I'm not an actor, but I know that that must be hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> and she did it. What kind of conversations did you have with Eden um, and the other actors, but specifically with mm -hmm. Eden, about mm -hmm. what it's like to to live with an invisible illness and and maybe you know be and to hide it too, you mm -hmm. know, to keep to because keeping it a secret, you know, mm -hmm. for you know was a big part of mm -hmm. was a big part of you know especially the journey for you know the bulk of the film. Mm -hmm. um, we talk a lot. Um, and, we, you know, tying back to how I coach my actors, too, we talk a lot about where emotions sit in the body. So mm -hmm. using a specific body part and where that emotion really sits inside you. Um, we talk a lot about weight. And so specifically with this character, she says, you know, it feels like I'm drowning, like I'm just trying to stay about above water. And that um, had to do with her fatigue. Mm. So her just kind of clawing through life and it kind of it feeling like quicksand. Yeah. And how that manifests in the body. Um, and then with the hidden aspect, trying to maneuver really quickly in ways. We have, you know, scenes where 
um, her best friend is talking to her and asking her questions and her really figuring out on the spot and very mm -hmm. fast how to maneuver and how to just keep the train on the tracks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even the, even the way that um, when we first see her and like she's all covered up, but with the hat and everything like that, mm -hmm. really, that reminded me very much of, of what my daughter went through in mm -hmm. 2018. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, captured it very well. Okay, I said I love talking about challenges. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons I like talking about challenges with indie film, uh, especially is, well, one, because I, I think there's a lot to learn from challenges. Two, I know that you overcame them <laughs> because you made a beautiful film, right? So tell me about the challenges that you faced, you know, um, bringing this story to the screen and um, and tell me about how you overcame them. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges was filming in as many blocks that we did because I did want to capture the changing of the seasons. So that was intentional. Then. That was, yeah. It was really important to me that we shoot in the fall, we get all of the beautiful beautiful fall foliage and the falling of the leaves and that we come back to the character in the spring mm. with the blossoms with this time that had passed in her journey um my producers did not want to do they were like we know we can do we can do something we can we can fix it in we, post exactly. Beatrice we can put it in the background and post and I'm like no they've got to be real cherry blossoms I'm not doing this in post um so that that created so funny because I know you've been a producer as well right oh yeah oh yeah and I, as a producer yeah I get it it's hard you're you're bringing back your entire team and for so many times because not only did we come back for the cherry blossoms unit but we came back again because the water needed to be warmer so uh the scenes where you see Eden in the water, the ocean, the yeah. ocean had to be warm enough in the year for her to get in it. Yeah. So we came back a third time. And so really you're putting together three shoots wow. with the same crew. And so it's a lot of logistics with scheduling. And then you've got you know, Sterling that you're like, please, okay, we're do okay, we're coming back. And yeah, so it's scheduling. And then it's not only you no know, cast that you are you know, needing to wrangle, but it's your crew that you're needing to wrangle. Mm. Um, so, you know, that was a challenge, but I think everyone in our cast and crew really, they were just so connected to the project from the very beginning and yeah. they knew how many lives this would impact. So mm. everybody, like, I felt like we moved mountains with this film, um, with like how much work was actually involved in getting it done. Yeah. Um, but just the amount of effort that everyone put in. Yeah, it was just astounding in terms of the amount of commitment. Bring us to a memorable moment from filming. You know, when you think about the process of making this film, mm -hmm. you know, what is what is a memory that or moment that brings a smile to your face? A smile to my face. Or a tear to your eye. Yeah. Yeah. Um so uh, well, I guess it ties back to the title. So for those who haven't seen the film, You Are the Blue, and we keep saying, you know you are not your disease, you are the blue. Um, the blue for me ties back to poetry because I spent about a year writing poetry before even getting into some of the story 
aspect of the film. Really? Mm-hmm. And that piece was really important to me to, to, to figure out a way that I was experiencing things and how to tie it back into the film. So just with that notion of You Are the Blue, we had one scene at the very beginning of the film where the lead character whispers, You Are the Blue, to herself. Mm. And I remember us being on the edge of the ocean, Eden is standing on this chair, and we have we are running out of time, and the character is feeling like she is running out of time, too. Mm. And the tide was coming in and we were having to move equipment. And Sterling, who also operates the Steadicam, I mean, he's got like two, basically two shots to get this. Mm -hmm. And it's a really complicated shot. And at the end of this shot, Eden, her, her character Kay whispers, you are the blue. And Eden, you know, whispers to me, how do you want this? How do you want this moment? Like she's looking for some direction. And I just whisper back to her, imagine that the universe has already whispered this and it's coming back to you a second time. Hmm. And she just got it. Wow. And it was so powerful because in those dreamscape moments that I created, I really wanted it to feel like they were already lived in yeah. and 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 that the message was already there. Like it was within the character right from the very beginning. Yeah. And I think that moment for us was so memorable. And I remember talking with Eden after that and, and she was like, that was just really interesting and cool that like we understood what that meant mm. and she was able to communicate that with her voice and her breath and her focus that that is such a wonderful example too of um like the beautiful dance that can happen you know between director and actor you know and I, actually, in this case, you're also the writer, you know, <laughs> yeah. as well. But like the magic making that, that it can happen, you know, on on set. Speaking of you as a director mm -hmm. and as a as a storyteller, what did you learn about yourself as an artist through the making of this film? Ooh, that I'm a really specific individual. <laughs> that I I really have. Um, mm, Okay, so my my partner James James Cott, he's um, also in the industry too. He's an actor, an acting coach. Um, he always points out when I notice things, and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's not so good. Um, I and I laugh when it's not so good because it's like those little things that nobody else notices. Like I will it always notice at a restaurant if there's something in my food. And I will be the one to always be like, oh, my God, there's a fluff. There's a piece of hair. There's something here. Like, yeah. there's just something that's not supposed to be there. Yeah. Um, this is where, though, I think it benefited on set. And people would say, I like when you're decisive yeah. and really specific because it makes my job easier. Yeah. And there were so many departments I kept saying that because it was not, uh, I don't know, maybe. Well, it's like, okay, I really like this. Let's go with that. Yeah. Or let's try this. I know this will work better. 
So I think that's what I really learned about myself. And I know I get that from my mom who's Chinese and just she is so meticulous and her attention to detail is I have like I've never seen anything like it. Um, and when we were growing up, she would do like fine needlework mm-hmm. and re- like she would sew all of our figure skating costumes and and dance costumes oh, and wow. like and, you know, make tutus, which was, you know, a dying art. Like she would. Be My the mom was a seamstress it. and also used to make all the dance competition uh, costumes as well. And actually, oh she's, she sewed my uh, wedding gown, which had a corset, and she worked with raw silk. So, like, wow. I get it. The, the, and I don't have that attention to detail <laughs> or the patience, you the know, patience. but like she, like, the, yeah, you're right. That specificity, yes. you know? So, wow. So, what is mm-hmm. then this, what does this film tell us? about the kind of stories that you want to tell as a filmmaker moving forward. You know, like, what is a Beatrice mm-hmm. King film? Mm-hmm. Um, I re- recently had a student of mine, um, a young adult, Connor Wong, who's- Oh, um, I know that name. Hmm, yeah. I wonder why. He's the friend in the- <laughs> Yes. He's, he's the BFF the, he's in the film. the BFF <laughs> in the film who plays Aiden. Um, in class the other day, he was like, oh, and then I'm, I was talking about like the shots and the coloring and just the feel and the nostalgia. And, you know, I just thought that like all of this just it really captured you. Hmm. And I'm and that was surprising for me to hear. I'm like, huh, I didn't know like I could really be distilled down to sort of an essence yeah. as a filmmaker. But, you know, I think that's accurate with with how I wanted to tell this story and mm-hmm. that there's definitely a world that Sterling and I created um and I think for my future that I'm developing currently I just I love the world that I developed I still want to work with YA I just love working with younger actors yeah. and I want to um create a story that is still meaningful and impactful and represent a community that has largely not been represented before. Mm. That is what And there's so me many tick. communities <laughs> that have not been represented before. You know it's interesting that you said you want you want to work with uh with young adults, young mm-hmm. people because there are a lot of people don't want who don't want to work with, you know, uh people who might not have as much experience. Yeah. You know, what what is it about the youngins? You know, mm. why, why do you like working with young people? Mm. Oh, there is a sense of freedom in their craft. Mm. There is a um, fearlessness that's there that I really honor and admire. And I just really love the amount of transformation that happens in such a short amount of time. Yeah. It's that growth that I think really interests me and excites me. And I think they just have so much to offer. And it's also just their perspective on life at that age. I think mm-hmm. it is significant and that their their experiences are just as important yeah. as ours. And Absolutely. so- That's why in the film, you know, I could have, you know, it could have been a story about an adult going through it. But Mm -hmm. for me, it needed to be a young person who, you know, it's a coming of age and story told in a very different way. But there's so many changes that happen in a short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. You could tell you have a lot of respect for 
young people, you know, and I, I mean, as, as a parent of a, my daughter's turning 13 oh. next week, you know, I, I am so impressed by what I'm seeing from, from the youth, mm-hmm. from this generation, you know, their, um, their open-mindedness, yeah. their passion. And also like this idea of like, 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 honestly, they look at me sometimes and they're like, I can't believe that uh, your parents and also your generation have like, you know, fucked up like all these various things. And like, just like, and they, I'm like, yeah, I really, yeah. I agree with you. I really do. Like this, this, their generation is going to be the one is, and it's already showing that they're the ones who are like, no, we're going to do things in a, in a different way. Um, so let's see. I want, I, I can't let you go yet without mm. talking about, um, allies mm-hmm. uh, because you know I mean Kay obviously this is Kay's story but you know Aiden the BFF mm-hmm. and you know to a lesser extent you know um, the mom and, and the sister mm-hmm. I mean there are there are people who who are there who love her who are part of this of this journey of this process mm-hmm. what kind of words of wisdom or advice do you have for people like Aiden and, and you know, Kay's mm. family um, who want to support, you know, their loved one who has, you know, who is who is struggling with, living with an invisible illness? Mm. You know, what what do you think is, imp- is important for them to say or or to do with their, you know, through their actions? Mm-hmm. I think it's... Um, I think, well, first of all, I think every individual is different in how they want other people to maybe react if they decide to open up. So if someone decides to open up and tell them what's going on, I think everyone might be looking for something different. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I, I I do really strongly believe that if you are there to listen without judgment Mm, yes without judgment that is such an important piece and i think sometimes we tend to judge what we don't know Mm. and it's hard for us to understand or we try to go into fix it mode right away (sighs) fix it mode yeah yeah which is my mother's love language is fix it <laughs> right. mode, mo. which is, and that can make, and that ha- has made it hard for me in my four plus five plus I'm 44, my many decades, <laughs> I can't do math, you know, because like sometimes I don't want to be to go to like, you know, my mom and fix it mode and be like, this is what I'm dealing with. And then she'll be like, great, this is what we're going to do. And yeah. you should be like this and this and this mm-hmm. and this. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, that doesn't give me room to feel like I have any control or, yeah. you know, yeah, that's a very important it's point. It's very important. And if you go into fix it mode right away, it doesn't give that person an opportunity to have their feelings validated. Mm. And they're they're when they're expressing things to you, and even if they're not like if even if you're seeing that they're struggling, they might not be able to verbally express something to you, but you can be there to support them mm. and just even sitting beside them and letting them know, tell me what you need. I'm here for you. Yeah is better than going, I'm going to do this and I'll try that and let's call this person. They, you know, um, that person should know what, you know, the answers to things um, yeah. because they need time to process. 
things as well. And that processing time is so important for emotions not to get stuck in the body, not to get suppressed and repressed. Mm. Um, because sometimes people feel like it's more difficult getting it out there and then them not knowing what that other person is going to do with it. Yeah. So if, you know, you were listening, um, like Aiden, who's the BFF, and it was really important for me to showcase a platonic friendship Mm -hmm. and relationship in my film, which again ties into like an underrepresented relationship. We don't see a lot of platonic relationships, especially between, you know, a man and a woman. And I really wanted to showcase that I have those relationships in my life. Mm -hmm. Those are really important friendships to me. And I really wanted to show that when you have that person that you trust who's just there listening, breathing with you, allowing you to have your emotions and validating them, that person can actually heal, begin their journey to heal in that moment. Fantastic. I am so delighted. I'm so delighted. Is that a word? Is that a phrase? Yeah, yeah. I, don't know. I don't know. I'm really happy that you you came by the studio today. and. FYI, guys, she brought me gifts for the cats because that is, I mean, I don't know if you could tell, but Beatrice is a sweetheart and um, I am so, I'm, I love this film. If you're going up to Whistler Film Festival, seek this out. The screening's on December 2nd, right? Yes, it's on Saturday, December 2nd at 12.30 p.m. Okay, and are you, you're going to be there? I'm going to be there. We're yeah. going to be there with our filmmaking team and um Eden will be there as well. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So um, if uh, people want to uh, follow you on social media, mm-hmm. find out what you're working on next, mm-hmm. where should they go? Um, I'm largely on Instagram and I'm at BB King and it's B-E-A-B-E-A King. Um, our film is also there and we're at You Are The Blue and our website uh, you are the blue.com. Fantastic. Um, and uh, perhaps most important of all, um, can you tell us a little bit about your puppy? <laughs> who is seven years old? Leela. And she's also, she makes a little appearance in the film. <laughs> I guess we, we, so that little Frenchie that you see. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, ding, ding, ding. She makes a little appearance in the film. Wow. That's Leela. Leela is seven, but she acts like she's a little baby, a little puppy. She is an absolute diva. Yeah. But the sweetest little soul you'll ever meet. She loves humans more than other animals, other dogs. So if you ever meet Leela, she'll fall in love with you in a heartbeat. That's Leela. And I hope that Leela is listening right now. <laughs> Hi, Leela. You're perfect. We love you. <laughs> okay, listeners, you are the blue screens at the 2023 Whistler Film Festival. For details and tickets, visit whistlerfilmfestival.com. Well, listeners, like, subscribe, leave us a review if you are so inclined to help us find even more listeners and we can keep having conversations like the very special one that we had today. Find us at yvrscreenscene.com. Follow us on Twitter. I'm calling it Twitter. I'm not calling it X. It's Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at yvrscreenscene and at Sabrina. I'm also, I have accounts on Mastodon. 
and threads. Mari started a TikTok for me. I don't use those ones. Those are more like placeholders if the, all the other things uh, burnt out. The Wire Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Rani Mera Firminger, and it's edited by, oh, here come the Firmingers, Simon Firminger. Special thanks to Mariana Firminger for recording our Patreon ad and to Paul Firminger for technical support. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! Hey, filmmakers, did you know that you can hire top quality, experienced and professional actors for your films? If you're producing a student film for course credits, working on a web series, a short or a feature film, you can afford to have some of the best talent in the business in your production. How, you ask? Well, UBCP Actor has an ultra low budget program which offers a range of options that cover everything from student films to productions with a $300,000 budget. There is a ULB program that will meet your needs, regardless of your budget. To learn more, visit ubcpactor.ca and look for ultra-low budget programs or email ulbprogram at ubcpactra.ca. Now is the time to jumpstart your dream for the screen.